confusion there. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> um, so, yes, yeah, so I'll just bring the Bible reading. It's f- taken from Mark chapter 14, verses 32 to 42. Um, so... They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he he felt He fell to the ground and prayed that, if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch? For one hour, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Thanks, Valerie. Uh, Let us pray and have a look at this text. Father God, as we come to this uh, moment in Gethsemane where the Lord Jesus... Uh, has been so distressed and troubled that he's overwhelmed. Father, we pray that you help us to see the fullness of his humanity here and help us to identify with him and to be able to move from him, uh, from here, closer to him and uh, worshipping him even deeper. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Stephen Fry, he's uh, he's an English... Uh, actor, director, broadcaster, comedian. I don't know if you've seen any of his shows. Uh, one of them that I've watched a bit, it's called QI. Uh, obviously, it's a take on IQ, uh, but QI, and basically, uh, it stands for quite interesting, and they ask these obscure questions of a panel of often comedians, and it's quite, it's quite interesting, but he's a very, very intelligent man. Uh, Stephen Fry is uh, very much connected in many uh, ways to the... Uh, to the uh, to the thinking elite, I think he's a very uh, very sharp and interesting man. But about eight years ago, I think it was about eight years ago, he appeared on a show in the UK called The Meaning of Life, uh, where they interview guests around what they think about the meaning of life is. Obviously, you know, their worldview, their beliefs, and things like that. And the host asked him this question. Suppose it's all true and you walk up to the pearly gates and you are confronted by God. What would Stephen Fry say to him, her or it? He responds, I will basically, it's known as theodicy I think, I'll say, bone cancer in children? What's that about? How dare you? 
How dare you create a world where there is such misery that it is not our fault? It's not right. It's utterly, utterly evil. Why should I respect the capricious, mean-minded, stupid God who creates a world that is so full of injustice and pain? That's what I'd say. Then the host asks, Are you think so, and do you think you're going to get in? To which Stephen Fry replies, Oh, but I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to get in on his terms. They're wrong. Now, Stephen Fry is expressing what I think is the common problem people have with God. They look at the world around them and they think, really? Really? God's allowing this? So let's not have our head in the sand. Let's face it, suffering is what shows us the world is not perfect. The problem is the amount of suffering. The brokenness, the grief, the overwhelming pain that so many are in. In 2020, studies showed that poverty had actually declined rapidly. So people started concluding, well, that means suffering had started declining. And perhaps we were finally entering an era where suffering would be alleviated. But the United Nations Development Program did another study focused on what people had been feeling, their negative uh, experiences. These emotions included worry, pain, stress, sadness and anger. And what it found is that all of those things had been increasing. You see, suffering, regardless of uh, how your standard of living is, your income, the wealth or the period you live in, it doesn't matter. In the history of humanity, it's been shown that you will suffer. And Stephen Fry seems the problem with believe, sees the problem with believing in God is that he appears not to care at all or do anything about that suffering. It's a good question. It's the question that everyone throws at me straight away. And so logically and rationally, his conclusion is fair. Why would you respect a God who creates a world that is so full of injustice and pain and does nothing about it? You see, that kind of God is a capricious God. He is a mean-minded God. Feeling uncomfortable? The problem with the statement, however, that Stephen Fry makes and which our world makes, is there are two common assumptions in it which are just untrue. Number one, that God created the world like this. And number two, he doesn't care. He's happy to go along in his bubble and do nothing about the suffering that we are enduring. Well, I think this morning we encounter Jesus, the Son of God, God the Son, showing that those assumptions are just not right. And if the assumptions are wrong, then it requires someone to reconsider their evaluation of the conclusion. See, we're at a point where the arrest of Jesus is imminent. It's about to happen. He knows he's about to face his accusers and he's about to go through the agony of being crucified on a cross, humiliated. See, he's foretold that all his closest friends and uh, and disciples will betray him. We looked at that last week, to deny him which they all do once he's arrested. And as he faces this moment of death by crucifixion, or as he calls it here, the hour, 
He goes to the Mount of Olives and into a garden called Gethsemane to pray. And he prays in order to hand this hour over to the Lord God, his Father, to commit again into the Father's will himself, despite despite the suffering that lies ahead of him. You see, God has entered humanity and now is going to bear the weight of the suffering, not that was there at the creation of the world, that has, but has come because of the human heart. And we're told this in verses 33 and 34. He took Peter, James and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. He said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch. Firstly, that is not a God who couldn't care less. See, something remarkable is happening here which undermines the assumption that God doesn't care. God himself has entered deep distress. Jesus is saying, I have a sorrowful soul, overwhelmed to the point of death. Now, I reckon most of the people here at some point of their life have been overwhelmed. Overwhelmed with deep grief or distress. See, here we have God himself overwhelmed with his humanity, with the reality of walking in amongst this suffering. And he wants to die to release the agony and distress to the point of death. But it's the death that awaits him that's causing this sorrowful soul. See, what we can't do as we lead up to Easter and as we walk the path as followers of Jesus is rationalise this away. We're very good at this. I've heard people say, yeah, but he's God. He didn't suffer like we suffer. That's just untrue. That is dangerous theology. See, we affirm that Jesus is fully divine. He is God, but he is fully human. You cannot mix the two. It's not, a new, it's not a new entity. It's not a new composition. He is both fully divine and fully human. And the focus here is shifting from his miracles and his divinity and showing that he's the Messiah and the Son of God, the Son of Man, to his humanity. It's shifting to show that he is every essence of human. We can't rationalise that away. He suffered as we suffer. And he endured things that even we have not endured. See, we like to impose him with a Superman type idea. We like to say, hey, Clark Kent's over here, but he puts on his big cape of divinity to ease the suffering on himself. Well, that's not how this is working. Jesus, in every aspect, is God in the flesh He is suffering because he is in every way fully human. That doesn't deny his divinity. But he is every part as human as we are. 
and his soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Deeply distressed, deeply troubled, a sorrowful soul. Now I want to know, I've been reflecting on this a lot this week and I've had conversations with people, it's just come up. But what happened to our churches where suffering is no longer an option? I was listening to someone talk about how they just can't turn up to a church anymore because they feel their life just never measures up. That they seem to have something they're dealing with. See, what happened for churches to start saying, well, if you're suffering, your faith isn't strong enough. I don't think Jesus would even be accepted in those churches. Because the one they claim to be following is here deeply distressed and overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. I cannot deal with this. I don't think I'm strong enough. I can't do this anymore. Why is it that we put on these facades and try to believe that because of the victory, we don't live in the reality of this world anymore. See, Romans twelve fifteen. rejoice with those who rejoice, absolutely, but weep with those who weep. See, because here, Jesus is showing us that the one that we are claiming has all the victory, which he does, is also showing what it means to walk in this humanity. We cannot cast this out. Now I want you to realise that Gethsemane literally means oil press. Now there's a reason that this was called the Mount of Olives. Anyone want to have a guess? It was full of olive trees. Um, it's still there today, and, uh, and there's olive trees there today when I visited uh, a few years ago. But in Jesus' time, because there were olive trees, all around there, there would have been olive presses. And Gethsemane literally means oil press. So quite possibly right near where Jesus was, was an area where they would press and process uh, the crushing and the extraction of the oil. There were different types. There were really two stages. They would, they would crush. Uh, you can see there a, a human or an animal would pull, the, pull the, um, the branch or the stick or whatever you want to call it around. Uh, and that big, uh, that big roll, that big uh, stone uh, would crush all the olives. They would be collected then in a basket. And then they would go to a second stage where they would extract all the oil light by crushing the basket again to collect all the juice into a storing vat. It was a, it was a tough business. And you needed something extremely heavy to crush those oils, to get to those olives, to get the, the, the fullness of the oil out. Now, I don't think there's any coincidence that we see Jesus crushed under the weight of the suffering and the despair here in a place called Gethsemane. I don't think there's any doubt that he's taken them there because he is a man of parables. He is a man who has walked them through uh, 
all sorts of uh, teachings which have lived out in their everyday. I don't think there's any doubt that he is there because he is under the weight of the stone of sin of humanity as he carries the burden of what he's about to go to. Luke tells us in his account that he was sweating like drops of blood. It's like this despair and all that he's about to go through is literally pressing the oils out of him, pressing the blood out of him. And on display here is the extent of God's love and care for the suffering of the world. Not some distant God who couldn't care less. This is a God who has entered and is willing to bear the weight and the sin and the, and the brokenness of all of humanity. Not so we can just live a life of victory. Yes, that is where we're heading. And yes, we can find joy in our suffering now because of the hope that we profess. But we can live in this broken world, not just to overcome the suffering, but to find meaning in the suffering. You see, suffering is what identifies us with our Lord. It's what helps us understand what he's gone through which then in turn helps us understand how much he loves us. When he did not deserve any of this. We can persevere, we can endure. Yes, because of the victory, but also because the one in whom we love and we put our trust and faith is the one who has endured this for us. God didn't create the world like this. The human heart destroyed it. You can't proclaim, I want free will, and on the other hand going, well, it's not my fault. It is the human heart who has, who has placed this at the heart of humanity, the suffering. See, God does care. He weeps at what you're going through. He weeps when his friend Lazarus is dead. God cares. There's no one who cares like him. What Stephen Fry says is quite contrary to everything that God has revealed about himself. Why? Because it's convenient to sit in our little worlds and go, well, none of this is my fault. It must be his. What a capricious, mean-minded God. Well, that's the human heart playing out all over again. You see, Jesus could have tapped out. In his humanity, he could have chosen to reject the Father's will. But because he was without sin, he showed us that he is the faithful one. And there is nothing, nothing that would stop him from overcoming the sin of the world because of his great love for us in this, that while, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. See, although his soul was overwhelmed with sorrow, they couldn't buy his soul. They couldn't buy him out like they did Judas. They couldn't buy him out like uh, Peter bought him out in many respects by denying him. No, he was resolute, as, as Luke puts it in chapter 9, and he headed to that cross. See, the devil tempted him in the wilderness when his ministry began. He said, hey, all these kingdoms can be yours. Renounce your father, but he remained faithful. If you haven't heard of Kev Carmody, I 
encourage you to go and seek him out on Spotify or get an album. He was born to an Irish Australian father and an Aboriginal mother. He's a poet, and I would say he's my favourite musician. I think he's a better poet than even Bob Dylan. There you go. He's an Australian fella, and he talks about uh, he talks about the hypocrisy uh, of uh, of an. Of a, of a land being stolen by uh, those who profess to claim Christ. And then in his songs he talks about, then we sit them down and go, thou shalt not steal, as one of the commandments. Some wonderful lyrics. And I encourage you, if you want to know about the history of Australia from an Aboriginal point of view, you listen to this man's lyrics. But he loves Jesus as well. And he wrote a great deal about Jesus. My Comrade Jesus is a great song. But he also wrote an album called Cannot Buy My Soul. And on that album is that song, Cannot Buy My Soul. And he talks about the oppression of black people in this country over 200 years. And the prevailing line is, they took our life and liberty, friend, but they couldn't buy our soul. They took our life and liberty, friend, but they couldn't buy our soul. Let me read you the last verse of his song. Jesus woke one morning, rode a donkey up through the gate. He could see quite clearly he was going to face his fate. And the powers that be could see that he could not be bought or sold. They took his life and liberty, friend, but they could not buy his soul. And that is because he loves you and he loves me and he understands the suffering and it's okay to suffer and we can walk this path knowing that God has suffered for us and there is great meaning in our suffering. See, if it's suffering that's turning you away from God, let me change all that around for you and say, you know what, in your suffering, that's exactly what is drawing you near to God. Because God knows what you're going through. And he will never leave you nor forsake you. And in all his humanity, Jesus suffered and understands your suffering. And he understands the temptations to your soul. And he understands the sin and evil that, uh, that is offered to you in this world as a quick fix. So my, I implore you to stand firm. Not because you are strong, but because he has proven his faithfulness and his strength. God does care. He did not create the world like this. And he certainly doesn't care about the world. He is not a capricious and mean-minded God. He is a God who is slow to anger, abounding in love, compassionate and forever faithful. And I encourage you to put your trust and your faith in a God who is willing to suffer for you. Well, over the next few weeks, we will see him arrested, beaten, spat upon, stripped naked, whipped. We will see him hung on a cross, an excruciating death, all because of his great love for you and for me. But the good news is on the third day he rose again. Praise be to God our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Heavenly Father, we come before you often asking big questions about our suffering and what the meaning and possible purpose of all this is. We look at the world around us, Lord, and we go, why? 
But Father, we know that you love your world and that you have redeemed it through your suffering of your son. And Jesus, you have gone to that cross willingly. You have endured the burden and the stone and the weight of humanity upon yourself. And all we can say this morning, Lord, is thank you. Just thank you. And help us respond today and the years to come accordingly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.